guys, welcome back to the Allergic to Grace podcast. I'm Victoria. And I'm Whitney. And we're so glad you joined in to listen today. Be sure to give us a follow wherever you get your podcasts. We release new episodes every Monday and would love to have you listen in to future episodes. We are on most podcast platforms. Just search Allergic to Grace to find us. So today's episode, we're going to be talking about Exodus chapters 18 through 20. But to pick up where we left off last week, let's quickly recap what we saw in chapters 15 through 17. Chapter 15 started out with the Song of Moses, where the people sang and worshiped God for their deliverance from the Egyptians at the Red Sea. After the singing and celebration was over, the people realized their situation and started complaining to Moses that there was zero water. Moses prayed and God showed him what to do, and the people were satisfied. The Israelites journeyed to the wilderness of sin and again complained to Moses that there was no food. God heard their complaining and sent quail and manna or bread from heaven to satisfy them. God provided for the people of Israel only what they needed. Some gathered much and some gathered little, but there wasn't any excess or lack. The Israelites then moved on from the wilderness of sin and camped at Rephidium. Here, they also complained to Moses that there was no water. God instructed Moses to strike a rock with his rod and water will flow, which he did, and the people were again taken care of. The end of 17, we see Moses pray the war away in Israel's first battle against Amalek. So that leads us into chapter 18 of this episode. (laughs) Sure does. That was a lot. A lot happened within a short period of time. It did. I feel I feel like Exodus is moving so much quicker than Genesis did, because like if you think about it now, I got dug down into a rabbit hole. The Here other we day. go <laughs> <laughs> about the amount of time, because we did so much research into looking at how much time was passing between each thing, how yeah. old people were. Well, then like, too, we also looked and see like the distance for Abraham's yeah. treks for, to mm-hmm. Egypt and like all of this stuff, the time it took them to walk everywhere. So... I was just curious. So I got <laughs> I got dug down and I found this thing. I don't really remember where I got it at. That's bad. But I think it was just a picture on Google. Okay. Google image search. Maybe. I don't know. It was a reputable source I, or else I wouldn't have printed it off. This Does it is say like in the bottom corner? Bible.k slash Exodus. Stephen Rudd. I don't know. There we go. Oh, so ju- it's just from Stephen Rudd. Sure. Um, <laughs> so it just kind of points out like how many days were between each event from the exodus so we have the passover exodus 12 Mm -hmm. and then day one is the exodus they left goshen um and then we have like those other interval days right so we have they arrive at the red sea which is on like day 17 ish um they camp at the the Red Sea for eight days and then they cross the Red Sea at day like 25 okay. from the Exodus. And then they spend three days in the wilderness of Shur. They get to the wilderness of Sin, which they spent six days in the wilderness of Shur. Okay. Wait, sure. Let me start over. <laughs> <laughs> Let me start over. I'm not looking at the right thing. It's this because it also it also lines it up with wh- Jesus. The chapters, yeah. It also lines it up with Jesus and the the crucifixion and the Passover and like all of that. Oh, with Jesus. yeah. So like, okay. okay, I was looking at the wrong line. Hold on. Let me start over. <clears throat> okay. Day Action. one. <laughs> day one. They left Goshen and that was the Exodus. They arrive at day 25 at the Red Sea. Um, they spend six days after the crossing of the Red Sea in the wilderness to the wilderness of sin. And then they go... In the wilderness of sin for eight days, they leave the wilderness of sin, and then they arrive at Mount Sinai eight days later. So from 
leaving Goshen to arriving at Mount Sinai, which is the opening of which is essentially where we are where now. we are right now, is forty seven days. Okay, so from about a month and a half. Yeah, so from leaving leaving Goshen to arriving at the Red Sea is about twenty five days. They had eighteen travel days and seven camp days. And remember, they backtracked for what a few days too. Yeah. And then from crossing the Red Sea to Mount Sinai is 22 days. They had 11 travel days and 11 camp days. And within those 22 days, they have the six days that was spent um, going to, I guess, the wilderness of sin. And then six days, 16 days. Traveling through Traveling it. because they left in packs. Yeah. Remember from the wilderness of yes. sin to Mount Sinai. So anyway, 47 days to arrive at Mount Sinai. And then we have... Six days in between them arriving at Mount Sinai and then the law being given to Moses, which is our chapters today. Okay. So day 53 from the Exodus is how long they've been outside of, of Egypt. Egypt. Okay. And just kind of wandering. So around. it is going a lot faster. I mean, it's like two, three months. Two, three months compared to like two or three hundred years. Yeah. And like so. even think about that, like when we look at Abraham's journey. And even then, even then, when we look at Joseph, not Joseph, uh, Jacob's Jacob's, journey, like they were over a period of time, like 80 years, it was just full lifetime. Yeah. But like the things that are happening and it's so much that's happening because they have such interaction with God and he's giving them all these laws and like all this stuff, like it's everyday occurrence, basically. It feels that way, at least. Yes. So it's two or three months since the Exodus that we open in 18, sort of. Ish. Give or take. Give or take. Because, hold on. They arrive at Mount Sinai. And uh, then, so I, huh? Nope, go ahead. Day 47, he splits the rock at Horeb. Mm-hmm. Um, day 48, he goes up the mountain for the first time. Okay, yeah. Day 50, he goes up the mountain the second time. And then day 51, they wash their clothes for the preparation. Day 52 is the Sabbath. So There it is. Yeah. That's a very confusing chart. But it also has like the names of the months up here. Yeah, I saw that as well. And the distances. There was a lot happening on there. 700 kilometers. No thanks. From Goshen to Mount Sinai. On I don't foot. know what kilometer it is. I'm sorry, American. No idea. <laughs> That's my condition. I'm no American. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, so, opening. We're fine. We're fine. Opening, everything's fine. <laughs> opening in 18. I had some issues with this. Just a little bit. Because when I was reading it. And then I compared it to that timeline over there and like really sat back and thought about it. I was like, is this the chronological order in which this happened? Yeah. Which, you know, we know that this is written in retrospect. So like timelines could have gotten mixed up. Yeah. Or like, like the specific details. Yes. And I guess too, like when you're writing it in retrospect or like hindsight or whatever, you're going to put things there that help to make add context or make the most sense yeah. for additional things that are happening. Yeah. Because, okay. So... 18 opens with Jethro, which remind you, it's um, Moses's father-in-law. Yes. He arrives at Mount Sinai and gives Moses some advice, he sure basically. Um, and so on the timeline of this, he's already split the rock. He's already gone up once. Has he gone up twice or just once? I think 19. He's, he's gone up once, I think. Yeah. Has he? I don't think he's gone up at all yet. Hold on. He hasn't. What's he say? I don't think he's gone up at all yet. Because then he gathers the elders of yeah. Israel to yeah. tell him what the plan is. Yeah. 
But see, like, he's judging the people in 18. Mm-hmm. Like, he's judging people in terms of, like, civil lawsuits. Moses. Moses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, I know the law of the Lord. Yes. But he hasn't been given the law of the Lord yet. So. Well, he knows he knows the word of God. So, I guess. Yeah. And that's part of why it's taking so long, too, is because, I mean, he has to go to God. Yeah. He's praying a lot. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Maybe it did happen like this. I don't know. Maybe it did happen what? Maybe Jethro did come in this time point and this timeline. Well, so I have, I think this, oh, this is from Enduring Word. They believe that Jethro's coming was a little later down the line, not immediately after the Battle of Amalek. And then they reference Numbers 1114, which I read, and I will bring it up for you. Because I read that and I was like, oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, numbers 11, 14 through 17 says, I'm not able to carry all these people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If I will, if you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight that I may not see my wretchedness. And mum- numbers was written after Exodus. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking maybe this is where they think jethro's advice came in so maybe okay. jethro came and then this is where he decided to give him the advice is well later. i know there, i feel like there's a there's some repetition in leviticus numbers and deuteronomy about the events at sinai yes they they kind of repeat it just yeah. a little bit here and there um so maybe maybe it's just like one of those things kind of like the gospels they repeat the same yes maybe i don't know we'll see when we get there yes but it's possible yeah. i don't know i don't know it's possible that it happened for in sure. this timeline it's also possible that it didn't yeah i have no idea it doesn't really all I, that matter yeah what does matter is the fact that jethro came <laughs> and gave moses some advice so he did show up with moses's wife and his two sons which by the way i was like i did some research oh good because i did too <laughs> and I, the only thing that i could find was is just that at some point he sent them away to avoid the I have plagues. A theory. Okay. I have a theory. Okay, so Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God has done for Moses and the Israel people. Da 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 da. Jethro is now with Moses, and he has his family with him. Mind you, I thought that it was interesting that obviously Jethro, who was previously not with Moses, mm-hmm. has now heard of everything that God has done. So now word is spreading. Yeah. Of what God has done for these people, the plagues the parting well, of the we sea. knew that already like, from like the events at the red sea that the a whole land around where yes, they were at the people yes, were that is scared. right yes so, so we already knew that was happening and i'm traveling i know and i'm just wondering if there wasn't some communication between moses and his wife because there you had to think. have been there yeah, had to have been you would think but um i'm think i'm guessing this, this is, is your complete, theory my theory complete conjecture i'm thinking that she was sent back to Midian mm-hmm. after the encounter with the angel in the circumcision situation. Okay. Because A, her son probably could not travel because he needed to heal. This is true. And then two, Moses, Moses knew what was to come. He knew what was coming. He, uh, he did not know at that time the extent of what was to come, but I feel like he sent her back, A, to take care of his kids and B, to, he was going to be busy enough. Well, and if they have a second child, she's they likely knew she was pregnant. They already had a second child at that point. Did they have both at the same... Did they already have both? Because mm-hmm. this is the first so. time... Isn't this like the first time the second child is mentioned? It's the first time his name is oh, mentioned. Oh, okay. Okay. But okay. I'm pretty sure... I mean, that would make I sense. I think he was the one that was circumcised. The son. The, the oldest one. one. The oldest one or the youngest one? I think it's the youngest one. Does it mention it? Let me go back. I don't know. Hold on. Let me see. When was that? <sighs> 
that Moses took his wife and his sons. Okay. And okay. had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. Blah, blah, blah. blah. Thought to put him to death. Mm-hmm. And she took a flint, cut off her son's foreskin and touched, touched Moses', Moses feet. feet. So it doesn't say who was. doesn't say who it was. Mm-mm. Either way. It doesn't matter. No. <laughs> but he, I think he had both of them at that time. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Which is kind of crazy based on like what their names mean. His first son's name means, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Well, you figure, I mean, he was a sojourner in the land of um, Midian, Midian, mm-hmm. yeah, where he met his father-in-law and, and his, his wife. wife. Yep. And then, I mean, God saved him because Pharaoh was going to have him put to death for killing you are right. the Pharaoh's guard. And that's that why too. he left in the first place. That too. Yeah. I was thinking that the Pharaoh wanted all the Israelite babies to be killed. And that was the. I mean, maybe but that it too. could mean multiple things. <laughs> that yeah. too. As, as we've seen, there are a lot, single things that mean, that have multiple parallels. Yes. So. Yes. But I think, I think she got sent back with her two kids after the encounter with the angel on their way to Egypt. Mm-hmm. And then. What I found was that it was for their protection. And I was like, okay, well, how long has he been separated from his wife? Like, if it was from... We'll remember the timeline that we discussed a few episodes ago about... It was probably, what, 50 days or something like that? I don't remember the exact number of the plagues. So it was probably maybe some months hold on hold on i know you have the answer but i want to guess i want to guesstimate okay go ahead guesstimate six six months no okay it's fine so they fight with the angel he meets with his brother yeah aaron and then that's when they get sent back Mm -hmm. this is complete conjecture could not have happened like this but the plague start and yeah and from start to finish they last about five months yep um there's the exodus so this is about two to three more months Mm -hmm. so it's within a year that they meet back up if this is when jethro comes and meets at mount sinai in this timeline okay okay so i mean i guess you would say six months six well no five give or take some for because remember we did i did a whole thing on how long the plagues were and i don't think it was five months it was a much shorter time period than that it was a whole thing. I thought it. I thought it was from like October to like Hold March. On. What chapters was that? I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's been a long time. Six to nine months. I'm gonna say six to nine months. That sounds about right. I think so. Sure. I don't within I mean, a I year. Don't, like yeah. within a year of within them a separating. Year, at the absolute most, a year. Exactly. Within a year of them separating, they were reunited again. Yes. And it feels so good. Okay. Um, so anyway mm-hmm. so here that we are happened. back at the, back at the scripture right back to jethro's advice yes moses um, is being everyone's coming to him with their problems victoria he's a judge went out into my field and she harvested over half of my crops and he's now a, it's missing he's a judge over civil suits basically like if that. we're gonna put it into real terms um like i was wrong by so and so who was right in this situation exactly and so he's having to to listen number one to all these people's Mm. problems and then two he's having to go and converse with god about what is the appropriate way to handle the situation exactly so 
As you can see, it's a bit much on one person. Yeah, well, and think about, too, the amount of people, remember? It's like millions. Millions of people that are having these issues, and the only person that they have at this point in time to handle these issues, if they can't settle it themselves, is this one singular guy. Yeah. Which, I think we should put a pin in that, the fact that they could not settle it themselves, Mm -hmm. which is going to further cascade down after we go and talk to God a little bit, get some little directions. Okay. 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 Pinned it. Pin it right there. Pinned it in the wall. Okay. okay. Every time. So Jethro says to Moses, first of all, I want to talk about before we get into what Jethro says to Moses. Okay. No, it's not that important. So Piston, blah blah blah. Hold on the Moses says. Ah, Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh. And he has delivered the people under the hand of the Egyptians from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with people and Jethro, mother's father's (laughs) and Jethro and Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. <laughs> I can't talk today, apparently. <sighs> I don't know. So Jethro understood immediately what God was trying to communicate to the Egyptians with the plagues. Yes. Immediately. After hearing about everything that happened, he was like, oh, he's the only one. Why did it take the Egyptians so freaking long yeah. to figure it out? And I think, too, because I saw in some of the research that I was doing that Jethro is a priest. Oh, he is. So it, it just further it, exactly clarifies and affirms of what he believes and what he knows is the truth. Yes. Further evidence. He was truly a priest of God. Yes. Because, A, he was a descendant of Abraham. Yes. And Ketra, I saw that, too. Her son's Midian. Yes. Hence, he's a priest of Midian, Midian. so he's likely mm-hmm. a descendant from Abraham. Yes. So, he understood the assignment. Yes. So, then, you know, they have this. They all sit down. They eat with him to show respect. And the next day, Moses goes to do his thing. You his know, duty. His duty, I'm being sure. the judge over all the people. Because, you know, he's the leader of the people. The people know that he converses with God. So, who else better to judge than him? Exactly. Because, remember... Moses can go to God on the people's behalf. Yep. So this is why they're coming to him. That's also important for later. Yes. <laughs> um. And so Jethro wants to know, Moses, why are you doing this by yourself? Mm-hmm. Like you have all these people. And you're Surely doing there's somebody alone. here yes, that can help that you. That can help you. And so he gives him this idea for structure, yeah. basically. Yeah. Where does he say? Um. Hold on, let's let's read. Let's read. Hold on. It says the next day Moses. Hold on, wait. Yes, the next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw that he was doing all that he was doing for the people, he said, "What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone, and all the people stand around you from morning till evening?" And Moses said to his father-in-law, "Because the people come to me to inquire of God, and when they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and His laws." Moses' father-in-law said to him, "What are you doing? What you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly." wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you you are not able to do it alone so i was wondering why they were talking about sitting and standing so much i know it's a useless rabbit hole but um (laughs) 
They said it like three times uh-huh. that Moses is sitting and everybody's standing around him. Yeah. Like I'm just picturing a, a wrestling ring with like Moses <laughs> sitting in a chair, you know, like <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me. So I was like, why are they sitting and he's or why is he sitting and they're standing? So they're technical terms of semantic law denoting judge and litigant respectively. Yeah. So because the judge sits and the litigant stands as all like even to this day if you go to court yes i'll rise for the judge mm -hmm. and the judge sits down while people stand and talk exactly yes exactly (laughs) so (laughs) simple yet i was still hung up on it because it's very early in time it is okay maybe that's where our justice i'm sure there are so many things in this society that are based and founded on god and people don't realize it even That's what so atheists true. believe is based on God. That's so true. So anyway. Okay. So it wasn't that Moses was unfit to be judge. It was that being j- the sole judger of the people was too much for him. Yeah. And he needed to delegate. Exactly. Because you figure, think about the biggest thing that I saw, the biggest point was, I mean, not only is it exhausting, you're going to have burnout, but also there's being a delay mm-hmm. in the justice and a delay in justice is injustice yeah exactly yeah so like say you're in line whatever your number you know 200 and whatever in line well they only get to number 50 it's like the dmv exactly i mean that's i mean that's exactly what i'm picturing yeah you know yeah like people get up super super early in the morning to go get a line to come before moses so what does jethro advise jethro says now obey my voice I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands of hundreds of fifties and of tens and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure and all this people also. Yep. That's right. We'll go to their place in peace. That was right. All these people also. All these people also. (laughs) So basically, he's giving him an idea of how to set up a structure Mm -hmm. to have to take care of these little issues that could be easily resolved outside of Moses. Yeah. And so Jethro is basically giving Moses the idea for a structure on how to set up um a system so that he doesn't so moses himself doesn't have to deal with every little issue himself yeah. so that he's able to basically train trust and rely on these other men mm-hmm. um but then jethro also adds but only if god agrees or only if it's from god then then do it yeah so yeah so he gave him advice he didn't tell him to pick random people no he absolutely did not he, he told them he told him what to do he said pray for the people, bring their problems before God. Teach them. He had to teach not only the judges, but nah. he had to teach not only the judges, but also the people. If the people know God's commandments, ways, words, they could settle disputes among themselves without having to go to a judge. And then he also told him to select these men. He said, select men who are able, who are who fear God, who are men of truth, and who 
hate covetous covetousness yes covetousness yeah okay and in return the positive effects from electing other people to do this would be that he would endure as the leader of israel and the people will be served in more ways than one exactly because now moses is not spending all his time and his energy on this he's going to be able to use it elsewhere Mm -hmm. (laughs) again okay So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and they judged the people at all times. Any case they brought to Moses, but any... Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. You know what I first thought about when I read that what chapter what when they were talking before i did any research before i read my study section of my bible like before i did anything taking it straight on face value yeah i was like who gives these people the right to sit around and judge others as in like i'm looking at you and judging you for your actions right now (laughs) not that they were settling disputes among people like that's where my mind went yeah like i was thinking oh these are a bunch of pharisees who are sitting here saying i'm holier than thou and i'm judging everything you do Mm -hmm. you know like that's exactly where my mind went and then i did some research and had some contacts and i was like oh wait okay that makes sense that makes a lot more (laughs) sense (laughs) but i mean it just goes to show a the taintness of what sin can do to your brain Mm -hmm. you could take something so civil and so just normal and just be like this is wrong you know why are they doing that yeah these are horrible people (laughs) exactly and which also i think too helps reaffirm why we have this podcast so that people when they're reading this because we do a lot of research we do and if you just read the bible and you have a something like that irritates you Mm -hmm. turns you off of it yeah you stop reading it and you don't like so allow us to do the research for you (laughs) it's in no way thorough no (laughs) or sometimes correct but still we try yeah we do Mm -hmm. (laughs) yes anyway that was the end of chapter 18 it was that was very short i feel so here we see kind of i mean yeah we see a like a as a hierarchy is that the right word um for not only like we're seeing civilization civilization be set up basically i guess i I mean because think about the government now think about the government now you have federal state and local you have president house of representatives exactly whatever exactly we don't all line up to see great joe with our issues no we don't you know yep Mm -hmm. anyways so moving on to to chapter chapter 19 on on the third i guess i don't really have anything honestly super specific in this chapter um so this is the first time that moses goes up the mountain yeah and um you'll notice that he goes up the mountain quite a bit so i did some research okay see how many times he actually goes up the mountain how many times he go up the mountain in the whole of exodus in the whole of exodus okay well i think until the tabernacle because does he still i don't know um the last time he ascends is when he stays up there for 40 days and 40 nights with the second making of the yes 10 commandments commandments. when he writes it on the stone for the second time for the second or the first time well the first time god gives it to him and second time he has to write it yeah because he broke the first one i think because he's mad yes anyway because they were yes we'll get there um about that so i this is from got questions and they've said from the 
events that's in the Exodus from when they arrive at Mount Sinai, when he goes up and speaks with God for the first time till the 40 days and 40 nights when he comes back down, he ascends Mount Sinai eight times to meet with the Lord. How, like, what's the elevation on that? What's you he got climbing? me. I don't, I'm going to say. I mean, not that I care because mind Steve. you, Moses is not a spring chicken. No. He was 80, right? When the burning, when the burning bush, when he, when he met the burning bush. I mean, he was 40 when he fled. <clears throat> and then he was yeah so an 80 year old man think about moses at 80 climbing this mountain the physical Just, labor exactly of an 80 year old man climbing a mountain yeah 80 plus 80 plus times i think about coming up the stairs to you where you live and i just need a minute you won't need to do that much longer but i'm just saying like climbing a mountain that yeah I mean, I get out of breath climbing um, a mountain that's around here. It ain't about how fast you get there. It's not even the right to know, but it's it's good. <laughs> okay. I understood what you so were saying. So anyway, <laughs> chapter 19. Um, the first ascent. Yes. On the first day of the third month, On... Israel arrives at Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. And he takes his first trip up in verses 2 through 7 of 19. Yeah. It says... Are you starting at the beginning? No. 2 through 19. They set out from Rephidium and came to the wilderness the of Sinai. And they camped at the wilderness. <laughs> Verse 2 is the beginning. Okay. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called him out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I can do to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you out, brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses climbs the mountain to talk to God, and God tells him that. He says, tell, tell the people this. Yes. So. Because, again, Moses is the mediator between God and the people. Exactly. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord, what? I have something that I forgot to say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Before the start of 19. <laughs> so we're going to rewind just a little bit because Victoria didn't look at her notes. Oh, I guess. Um, I so. Chapter 19 kind of begins the second half of Exodus, in my opinion, and in the opinion of my Bible. Um, yes, it does. Yes. it It's the recounting of the events at Mount Sinai, the laws, the covenant, the statutes given by God to Moses. So it goes through like seven different things. The preparation of the people, Ten Commandments and other laws, instructions for entering into the land, confirmation of the covenant, instructions related to the tabernacle, breach, intercession, and renewal of the covenant, and assembly of the tabernacle. So that goes throughout the end of Exodus. So it's kind of like we're shifting from the birth of Moses, all the Israelite people moving into Egypt, then becoming slaves, the Exodus, the actual Exodus happening, crossing the Red Sea the time spent in the wilderness of sin and all of this stuff. They've come to Mount Sinai, which is the mountain of God. And now God is going to give them instructions on how to live their lives. Yes. He's took the time. He's clearly set them apart. Yes. That people know the Israelites were set apart by God. Yes. And so now that he has his people, he's instructing them on how they should live for him. Yes, exactly. So like 19 is kind of like that halfway point. It's not technically halfway between the end of Exodus, but like it's the the contextual the split, halfway. exactly yeah that's what i was gonna say point yes so that's all i had sorry continue on <laughs> so i'll just start over if you want you tell me uh 
I don't know. We can just pick up at 17, right? I mean, 19. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, we have to read. We have to talk about the consecration and the preparation of the people and stuff. So, mm-hmm. okay. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words the Lord had commanded them, commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of, of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the, all the peop- for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. So Moses has ascended, spoken to God, came back down, spoke to the people, went back up, Mm -hmm. talked to God. And God told him to come back down and consecrate the people that he was going to be coming to them on a cloud basically in a cloud a dense what what do you say a dense cloud a dense a dark cloud. cloud yeah whatever he said in a thick cloud a thick cloud thick that's the word i was looking for you know what i think of whenever i think about that mm-hmm. we were when we were at the beach this past week we looked out on the other side and there was this huge thick big puffy looking cloud and it was smoke Mm -hmm. from where they were doing like a control burn of like some of the swamps and stuff Mm -hmm. and so like that's just what i imagine is this big giant puffy gray thick cloud which i mean makes sense the theophany of god has often presented himself in fire so Mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense and i think later don't they even refer to it as smoke i don't know i don't know but anyway Yes. So he sends Moses down after then basically to yeah. like, you need to prepare your people. Prepare to be before the Lord your God. That's what he's saying. Mm-hmm. So the the process of consecrating the people, of cleansing yourself of all uncleanliness. Yeah. Is the act of consecration. Yeah. Um, so it, it involves what? Washing your clothes. Yeah. Washing yourself, basically. Yeah. So I have this. It's from the Bible says dot com. It says, in other words, they were to refrain from the common activities of their life for two days. Their minds were to be consumed with the seriousness of what was about to happen Mm -hmm. to be set apart, consecrated for this special event. So basically, they needed to take this time to set their minds on what was going to happen. Mine says consecrate or to make holy, to be set apart Mm -hmm. from the corrupting influences of the world for a special purpose. Yes. So the part initially when I read it, don't go near a woman. I was like, come on, seriously. But after further research, what? I wasn't, I have stuff about the garments before we get to the woman. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Is that okay? Yeah, it's fine. I just, or we could backtrack jump around jump up jump up to get down <laughs> so before we get to the woman i was just like okay what's like yeah okay washing your clothes will be clean but this is also from the bible says.com it says the word for garments is not the normal hebrew word for clothing 
The word used here is the same one used for clothing in Exodus 3.22, which could indicate that the garments that needed washing were the clothes that the Egyptians gave them when they left. These could be their like their special event clothes, you know, oh, like your best or whatever. Considering that slaves likely did not have any fancy clothes, this could also be symbolic of God's redemption of Israel out of Egypt. Hmm. So, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. So back to the woman. Yes. Don't go near a woman. When I first read it, I was like, are you serious? Like, come on. Um, but after further investigation, just because, okay, it's not. It's just, it sounds random. It does. It just sounds random. We're going to do all this. And by the way, see, stay like, away from a woman. The fact, the fact that like what tripped me up about it was God told Moses that the people needed to wash their garments. But he did yes. not say anything about going near a woman. He did not. Moses said, don't go near a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but after doing some further research, which I feel like it was warranted because what? It wasn't talking about stay away from women because they're corrupt and blah, 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 blah. It's talking about withholding your desires, your fleshly desires yeah. for that time where you are consecrating yourself to the Lord. So it's it's kind of like when you fast to pray, you give up something kind of like Lent. Like yeah. It's yeah. It's just that act of giving up something that you desire, that your flesh desires. So it said, in the New Testament, married couples were only to abstain from sexual relations if they were fasting or abstaining to consecrate themselves. So the process of becoming clean or pure, devoting themselves entirely to a religious exercise. So don't go near a woman just means don't have sex. Yeah, pretty much. And two, I guess... I did some research also, and some of the things that I saw, the reason that Moses said that was, yes, you know, to say to remain clean from like, you know, sexual things and that Mm -hmm. type of thing. But it also, too, says, and again, this is from the Bible says.com. So he was, Moses was trying to keep them away from the paganistic things that were happening around them because every other society, you know, worships Mm -hmm. multiple gods and da 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 da. So it says, say, Sagan. No. (laughs) Satan and pagan combined. So pagan worship offered both you can control and a moral justification for pursuing unrestricted sexual appetites. Both factors help explain paganism's popularity because it was self-oriented. God's covenant is others oriented and community centric. So basically, Moses was just trying to keep them from straying. I see. As well. Okay. In addition to the whole staying clean and because that is a thousand percent correct. And I also agree with that as well. Yeah. I also never mind what. But I also read somewhere that it was just like uh, or or whatever. You were still considered unclean until like the next. I saw that also. And I was like, okay, we're going to have to get that later because it talks about it. Like I, there's a very specific Moses then adds a requirement not mentioned by the Lord in the previous verses. He tells the people, men in particular, do not go near a woman. It could be connected to what would be included in the law later that a husband and wife who have sexual relations were unclean until evening. And that's in Leviticus. So we're going to get to it. Yeah. No one who is unclean could approach the Lord in ceremonial worship. Yeah. So I think we're definitely going to get to it. And we're definitely going to have to dig into that because there was also a whole section in there where it was saying that like sexual relationship between men and between a man and a man and a wife wife that are married is not a sin. Exactly. Yeah. That it's okay. And in fact, you're supposed to do that. Yes. But when you are consecrating yourself, you're setting yourself apart to meet god exactly don't do that's that. why it's important to not yeah like you said like i really like the analogy that you use with like lent or fasting mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yes yeah okay 
Yes. So don't touch the mountain. <laughs> you have one clear rule. Don't touch it. Just like the Ark of the Covenant. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. And unlike the Ark of the Covenant, which we will come to find out, if they touch the mountain, God doesn't Im- immediately smite them. Um, They're not just dead. Yeah. Man won't lay a hand on them, but they will be stoned or shot to exactly. death. Exactly. Shot as in with an arrow, arrow. because machine guns did not exist. Correct. But if they did, <laughs> so. So also, like the Ark of the Covenant, during this time, the presence of God was on the mountain. Yes. That's why you shouldn't touch it. Don't touch it. Because what is your hand compared to the dirt? Exactly. Your hand. <laughs> so much e- unclean. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, the verse about the trumpet, I got flash forwards to Revelation. Yes. So mm-hmm. there are people, there are people who have lived through what the trumpet will sound like in Revelation. They're not here anymore, but they've heard it. They heard it. What does and it, it sound like? And it scared the crap out of them. So. Okay. I have the next part. It's just super exciting. So go ahead and read it. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. The Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. There you go. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people could not come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. So the people could hear God speaking to Moses. How incredible would that be? Obviously, absolutely terrifying. After hearing this, it just makes me love thunderstorms even more. Seriously. (laughs) You know? How, like, majestic. Right? You know? How, who would ever think of a thunderstorm as being holy? But I mean, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. Also, the coming down on fire kind of reminds me of, like, a volcano. Yes, it does. Just a little bit. Mm -hmm. I feel like, have you ever seen an active eruption? Yeah. Obviously not in real life, but Kind of like the smoke that comes from that. Yeah. Exactly. The big puppy, like, Mm -hmm. mm mm-hmm mushroom cloud almost yeah looking smoke yeah it's like shoop. <laughs> um but did moses correct god i, I think he was confused. asking him to make sure i i don't know because that confused me as well but i couldn't find anything like yeah. on it i think he was like he's like but you you t- i think he was af- afraid that if but- he brought somebody else up on the mountain that they were gonna die yeah, was he testing him to see if you remember what he said? I don't like, know because my I don't have a whole lot. I couldn't yeah, find a whole lot on that. Me either. So when he says break out against them, he's talking about killing them. Yeah, exactly. by the way, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had to reference mm-hmm. that. Yes. So that's the end of nineteen. Yes. Moving on to chapter twenty, the famous Ten Commandments mm-hmm. and their story. It says, "And God spoke all these words." So mind you. The people of Israel can hear God talking to Moses, saying the Ten Commandments. Yes, to it's them. not. They're not reading them on the stone tablets for the first time. The first no. time they're hearing them, they're hearing them from God, from God, from His lips to their ears. Yes. 
terrifying. Okay. So the Ten Commandments, they're highlighted as the core of the covenant stipulations. They define the life the Lord calls his people to live before him and with each other. Point A. Point B, they're not an exhaustive list of the in the areas in which they relate. Yes. So they're not exhaustive in terms of their, you must do this, 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 and this, and nothing else. Like, Correct. They're guidelines. Exactly. You have to read between the lines. Exactly. With some of this because stuff. Because it would take five million years <laughs> to go through every single example. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Third point. Actions do not earn God's grace or favor. Correct. A life centered on Christ and God reflect the obedience to his command and his covenant. Yeah. Okay. Again, all of the people of Israel can hear what God is saying to Moses. Let that sink in for a minute. Seriously. Like, Everybody. What? Everybody. So you can't be like, um, I no- wasn't at the meeting. I don't know. God says, just so you guys don't get it twisted. Exactly. Here it is. Here from me. I mean, and God says it's not that words are hard. Mm-hmm. And God tells Moses that that's why he's going to descend on the mountain and he's going to allow the people to hear him speak so that they will believe Moses forever. Yeah. Because make no mistakes. I mean, they're still having problems. Obviously, Moses yes. was still having problems with yeah. people believing he was actually the appointed leader by mm-hmm. God. But like this is his law. Exactly. Truth, complete un. Like, you can't taint this. So, like, if you don't like the judgment of the argument that was brought before, know that the judgment that was made was by God. Exactly. So, I have a little thing. I just said that, you know, Ten Commandments are indicate how to remain, like you said, faithful to the Lord. Mm -hmm. Living by the Ten Commandments, that is not what saves you. No. Like you said. So, I thought that was important. Yes. No. Actions do not earn God's favor or grace. Yes. Like, you can do nothing to earn it. It is free. Exactly. And I think, too, the Ten Commandments, and I know, obviously, this is all before we start reading them, but I think this just helps to provide context, too, is, is that they are telling us exactly what sin is. Yeah. You know? It's further defining sin if we haven't learned it by now. In all of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus, it is mm-hmm. further defining what sin is. Exactly. And it's leads us or leads the Israelites or presses us or presses the Israelites to seek Christ for forgiveness yes. for that sins. Because I can't remember, it was one of the first things that I ever remember one of the pastors saying at the church that we go to now is, is that in order to understand Jesus' sacrifice for us, we have to first understand our sin. Mm-hmm. And so I think that this just helps to shed light on that. Yeah, it does. And if if anything, like we said a couple of episodes ago, reading the Bible, reading these laws, reading what God put down before the people on, in a way to live their lives according to his plan and his purpose and his covenant um it just further sheds the light on how inadequate we are how inadequate our flesh is and how much we actually need him exactly so exactly if anything it points us towards him even more yeah it stresses the importance you know of obedience Mm -hmm. for many reasons including protection from sin exactly faithfulness and the fact that he's giving these to, he's specifically speaking to the Israelites, mm-hmm. proves that he is making us or making the Israelites holy because he's, mm-hmm. he's setting them apart, setting them apart yep. from everybody else. God is not speaking to the Hittites or the Canaanites or yeah. the Egyptians and saying, these are my rules, follow them. No, he's giving them specifically to the Israelites. Mm-hmm. So 
Yep. And the whole thing starts and says, I am the Lord your God who yes. brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So he constantly reminds Israel what he has done for them and to remind them to live accordingly. Exactly. So the next follows, which is the Ten Commandments. So we're kind of going to run them pretty quickly. I, think I feel so. like they're pretty self-explanatory. I think so too. Um, you shall not have any... Let me start over. You shall have no other gods before me. So the first one is monotheism. There is one God, no other gods before the Lord our God. Mm -hmm. There are no other gods. It's just God. It's just God. You, um, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity that's iniquity, right? Mm-hmm. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So basically the second one is don't make things and worship it. Exactly. Don't have false false idols. False idols. He's a jealous God. Um my study Bible said something interesting about the jealous God. Tell me. It says, God the creator is worthy of all honor from his creation. Indeed, his creatures, mankind especially, are functioning properly only when they give the honor and worship that he deserves. God's jealousy is therefore also his zeal for his creatures' well-being. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, human experience confirms that immoral behavior on the part of the parents often results in suffering for their children and grandchildren. This is one of the grievous aspects of sin that it harms others besides the sinner himself. But this general principle is qualified in two ways. First, it applies only to those who hate me, i.e. those who persist in the unbelief as enemies of God. The cycle of sin and suffering can be broken through repentance. Second, the suffering comes to the third and fourth generation, while God shows steadfast love to another group of people, namely to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments, i.e. the thousandth generation. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting. I thought it was really interesting that the part about this sin affecting the other generation yes i have that written down also i thought that was really interesting because we see it like if you think about it if we look at the egyptians right they were they were first started as a community of people away from god right they had no idea who he was like if you think about it the people who settled in egypt from what abraham no yeah no no noah yes noah Yes. The people who settled in Egypt from Noah had no idea about God multiple generations down the line. So the people who were the descendants of the ones who oppressed the Israelite people had no idea about God, i.e. that is their sin. Because they were, you know, it's it's a multi-generational thing. Exactly. Which brings us back to the whole, we talked about one of the first few episodes of Exodus about God punishing not just the Pharaoh, but everybody's affected by the plagues yeah. because everybody was guilty. It's a multi-generational problem exactly. that could be solved, which in some cases was mm-hmm. when the Egyptians realized who God was and actually left with the Israelites um, through repentance, through the acceptance of God and through the act of repenting of your sin. Exactly. And like you can argue, someone can argue, well, then why didn't he just, you know, if God could save them, if God could tell them who he was, why didn't he? He did. He did. But you also have free will and you have to make that choice. They had to make that choice because don't get me wrong. I'm sure that there were Egyptians that believed in Christ Mm -hmm. and came to Christ. Well, not Christ, but believed in God, you know, and, and, you know, that type of thing after all of this happened. But also I'm sure that there were Egyptians, i.e. the Pharaoh who did not 
Yeah, most definitely. Okay. The next one, number three, says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So don't take the Lord's name in vain. Do not. Do you know what that means? Yeah. At least I think. Kind of just like don't. God's name is very powerful. And you don't just throw it around when you're angry or when you're shocked or for any reason other than, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm using this completely wrong, but out of like his, out of his deity. I I honestly, I was confounded about it because I've heard a lot of different things over the years and, you know, don't take the Lord's name in vain was one of the commandments that was heavily upholded in my house growing up. Um, so I always had, this is from a child's perspective. I always had the idea of you're not supposed to say OMG. Yeah. Like, yeah. GD. Oh, you no. know, mm-hmm. like those, JC, like, I mean, which obviously was not here, but you know, exactly. But like those types of things. So I didn't know if you had a different perspective, but my study Bible says taking the Lord's name in vain. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what refers primarily to someone taking a deceptive oath in God's name or invoking God's name to sanction an act in which the person is being dishonest. It also bans using God's name in magic or irrelevant or irrelevant. You're reverent. Irreverently. Thank you. Or disrespectfully. The Lord reveals his name to Moses, and he has continued to identify himself in connection with this with his acts on Israel's behalf. Yahweh is warning Israel against using his name as if it were disconnected from his person's person, presence, or power. So yeah, I guess outside of his deity. As in like you're just using it to use it, and you're right. not using it in the correct purpose. Exactly. The correct action, the correct everything. To me, it's like anything that doesn't g- glorify him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like... Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if that's exactly entirely correct. Well, that's you, just how when, I see it. Like, I guess when you pray. That's that's different, though, because like you're saying different. his name. It is different. You're not like. You're saying his name, but you're not taking his name in vain in that you're using it in the correct terms of who he is and his person, presence and power. You're praying to him as your God. Exactly. So, exactly. That makes sense. Yeah. Or like- So apparently our audio stopped working. Yes. Or our recording. So we're going to back it up. A little bit. A little bit. We were just talking about... The Lord's name in vain? Yes. So we were talking about how using it outside of his person, place, and power um, is taking the Lord's name Exactly. It's exactly what he's talking about. And when you actually pray to him as your Lord, your God, you're not doing that. So like it's using it in the correct sense of you're praying to him as your God, the person, place, and power. Okay. Okay. So, oh gosh. Remember this? Okay. What numbers are we on? Is this number... That was three. So four, four is keeping the Sabbath holy. Yes. Um. Okay. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to your Lord, your God. On it, you shall do no, you shall not do work. Oh my gosh. You shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is in with, within your gates. For six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Yes. We don't do this. No. Today. Correct. Um, but we'll get into that when we get into the New Testament. Did Jesus overturn it though? I mean, I don't, I can't speak definitively, but yeah. I believe, I think so. Yeah. I think whenever we get into that section of the New Testament, I'm just making sure of PTSD now. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think when we get into that portion of the New Testament, we'll definitely end up doing some digging, but yeah, I think so. Now, like we said before, the Jewish people, because they don't 
believe that in the New Testament, they still keep the Sabbath. Sabbath. Yeah. Which makes sense. And I mean, like Chick-fil-A, they're closed on Sundays. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, anyway, we'll find out more in the New Testament. Is the Sabbath Saturday or Sunday? See, there's a lot of, there's a, mm -hmm. okay, not not for today. Okay. (laughs) We can do it later. So number five, five, six, five, five, five. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord has given you. Honor your father and mother. Yep. Uh, Six, you shall not murder. Don't Mm -hmm. kill people. Mm -hmm. Um, Seven, you shall not commit adultery. Don't be a cheater. Yep. Eight, you shall not steal. Don't be a thief. Don't take things that don't belong to you. Um, nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So don't lie to the court to get your neighbor in trouble if you don't like them. Like, exactly. Don't, Just don't do it. Don't bear false witness. As in like you made up a story and then. To get somebody in trouble. Exactly. Or like to. That goes. Whatever. It's kind of like don't lie. Yeah. But different. Yeah. Um, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that's in that is your neighbor. So don't covet anything that is your neighbor. Yeah. As in like don't want what somebody else has or be like you said envious or jealous of it because then that's going to cause you to commit other sin. Yeah. And to covet something is to let it alter your relationships among yes. other people. Yeah. Um and so much so that it it becomes the reason why you do things. And in doing that, you create, you make that thing your identity. And then in that you are being an idol worshiper. Exactly. Basically. Which is what, Paul, a violation of the first commandment. Yeah. That was said much more eloquently in the first recording. I just want to let that be known. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> I think that got the point across and I don't know if it was recording when I said this or not, but we're going to end up going through these in more detail in the next episode. Yeah. I think so. Well, Especially the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. So then now when the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near the people stood far off while moses drew near to the thick darkness where god was yeah i got hung up on the fact that the people didn't want god to talk to them like why wouldn't you want god to talk to you you know so i did some digging and enduring word said um one might think that israel loved the dramatic experience at mount sinai and especially the honor of hearing god's voice like a loudspeaker from heaven instead because of the great awe and dread they felt they wanted god to stop speaking to them directly Biblically speaking, an up close encounter with God could just be could just as often be troubling as it might be comforting. Israel could see, feel, and hear this much from God, and not at the same time be, be accurately aware that He is perfect and holy, and they were not. My first immediate thought is shame. Right, like when you know that you've done something wrong. Do you want the person that knows the thing that you did wrong to come and talk to you? No. I mean, being a semi-confrontational person, um, <laughs> sure, come on. Please but, address the but, issue. But, but if it was like my dad. That's what I'm saying. That's, and I guess I, like, I should have clarified. I shame in, yeah, in I guess that I, I should have clarified. Expected and I feared exactly. what would happen to me. Yeah. No. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, hold on. 
and it was kind of like when adam and eve hid in the garden yes after they had eaten from the tree yeah so enduring word for the do not fear god has come to test you says the people of israel wanted to separate themselves from the manifest presence of god but god meant it for good to test them the test revealed to them what kind of god they served a god above nature personal good and holy the test revealed to them what god's expectations were that god is a moral god who expects moral behavior from his people and the test revealed to them their own weakness and the need for god's grace help and rescue sounds good that his fear may be before you this distinguished two kinds of fear do not fear speaks to the tormenting fear that comes from both guilt and danger Mm -hmm. that his fear may be before you speaks to the attitude of honor and reverence that leads to respect and obedience oh that's good Mm mm-hmm so that you may not sin. Israel did not learn this lesson well, is what Enduring Word says. <laughs> <laughs> to put it plainly. <laughs> Israel failed. As we will come to find out. Yeah, right? <laughs> so those were the Ten Commandments. And then this chapter, chapter 20, finishes up with some rules or laws about altars. Yes. It's kind of out of place, is it not? It does seem a little bit, but at the same time, like... It's not. Yeah. I mean, whatever. Like at first at first glance, mm-hmm. like if you're just reading over this and you're kind of like, well that's it yes, it absolutely 1000% is like that's random, kind yeah. of like Moses in the stay away from a woman type of thing. Yeah. Like okay, that makes no sense. Well, see, but like whatever. It, I think it's just a continuation. So, the people of Israel could hear God's voice in saying the 10 commandments, but everything else that follows was just to Moses. Okay, that makes sense. So like this, the law about altars. Oh yeah, because he says, and the about, Lord said to Moses. Yep. Yeah. The laws about slate, like everything else. That the details, follows, basically, he's giving to Moses, to Moses because Moses was the judge, and he's the one who was, I guess, for a lack he's of better term, training or going to teach these other elders and chiefs and things. Yeah, and the people. Yep. What what the laws are? So of course he's got to get the deets. He's got the details. So, and the Lord said to Moses, "Thus you shall say to the people of Israel." You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make yourselves gods of gold and altar of earth. You shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it from hewn stones. For if you wield your tool on it, you profane it and you shall not go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. Did you understand? Not exposed on it. And that your nakedness be not exposed on it. Did you understand any of that? I mean, not the first time through. Absolutely not. You want to explain it to me? Because I really don't I do think what, what I got from it is an altar. I have in my notes, I literally wrote, wrote altar equals simple and practical holiness should be reflected in the altar as well so the altar is where you come to atone for your sins so we're not going to make it some extravagant blown up thing and the hewn stones is just like carved out decorative stones like you're coming to make a sacrifice to atone for the sin that you've committed yeah to i guess for a lack of better term show regret ap- apologize like please you know what i mean yeah and in. so we're not going to make this some big flashy show exactly like mm-hmm. you've done wrong bring your sacrifice here and this the process of making a sacrifice because of the seriousness of what it is it's a very serious, you know, thing. It it should be kept holy. Yeah. And reverent. 
mm-hmm. is what I gathered from it. Makes sense. Makes sense. I didn't have anything. Now, if that's the case, I don't know. Email us. <laughs> but that's whenever I read that, I had to read it several times. Yeah. That's what I gathered from it. Okay. So. Interesting. That brings us to the end of 20. And with that. It's the end of the episode. The end of the episode. What's our favorite verse? Our favorite verse is Exodus 19 verses 5 through 6, which say, Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasure possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that is just so true in terms of the people. You should be a people of priests. I mean, Aaron came from the Israelite people. He, his exactly. line is supposed to be like the most high priest or yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, or something. Which we'll figure out later. Yeah, and I think we talked briefly about it a couple of previously. Yeah. Um, but two, it also points towards the new covenant in Christ in that we're exactly like that now. Yeah. If you are in Christ, you are God's holy possession. You are exactly his, his kingdom. Honor. Once he grabs your hand, he's you can't do anything to make him let go. Exactly. So on the next episode, we will be discussing Exodus chapters 21 to through 23. And that will be up next Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. We hope you enjoyed the time we spent in God's word and we hope to see you next time. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.